Hebrews chapter 11, let's begin in verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight, the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mocking and scourging, yes, and of change and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to honor you with our faith. We just want to honor you with everything that's within us, Lord. We want you to fashion us and make us more Christ-like. Lord, we know that that's your aim, to further conform us in the image of Christ. We pray that you would use these verses to that end, Lord. We want to be changed. We don't want to be the same as we were when we came in here, Lord. We want to be transformed, Lord. We want our minds renewed. We pray that your spirit would teach us as we sit at your feet and learn from you. We pray that you make application as only you can, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, that we have your word to turn to, and it doesn't change, and it's sufficient. We just, we're so grateful, Lord, that you've called us to build our lives upon that which will outlive the heavens and the earth. We thank you for your eternal word, but which won't return void. And we just commit this time to you. We pray that you would use it for your holy use in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I heard that Reuben had a problem with this timer, and it's not complicated. You just hit start and it starts flashing, you know, and it tells you, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm stumbled by that a little bit. Um, you know, just my issues that I bring in here. But um, you can pray for Reuben that he, he learns how to use this, you know, and then Mike just doesn't even turn it on. I mean, what respect is that? You know, not even turning on the, I mean, it's for you. It's not for us. This is for you. Uh, or they have to have some way to stop us or we'll just go on and on and on and on. So... Anyway, just if you're listening to this uh, for the podcast, you can ignore all of that. We are looking at this great hall of faith here, and this is the third part of our kind of our uh, time in this chapter, and we've seen a lot so far. And as we've seen, as we've studied from chapter 1, verse 1, that Paul is, or not Paul, but the writer, um, is saying very specific encouragement to these Jewish Christians to endure hardship as a good soldier. I mean, that's what he told Timothy. Uh, and, and so he's saying to them, you, yes, you are encouraged, you are, are enduring uh, affliction right now, you're going through difficulty, uh, but that doesn't mean that you get to just uh, leave all that you have in Christ. It doesn't mean that you get to throw in the towel, so to speak, and just give up being a Christian. Uh, you have to endure hardship and difficulty. But there's something that difficulty requires, 
There's something that the Christian life requires to live this life in a way that would be pleasing to God. And that is the life of faith. We're never going to get away from the life of faith. We want to. (laughs) I want to. There are so many times I want to get away from the life of faith. I want to live by sight. I want to have everything spelled out for me. I want it all laid out how, how it's all going to unfold. And God just keeps us. He's so faithful to do it, isn't he? He's so faithful to keep us dependent upon him. And we can get, especially as new believers, we can get stumbled by it because we just think, you know, I just keep finding myself in situations that are impossible or hard or difficult, and it just requires me to uh, have faith in God. And that's not by accident. That's not going to go away. Sometimes we think, well, if I could just become a more mature Christian, then I won't struggle so much related to trusting God. But what he does is he keeps putting us in greater and greater circumstances, if we're following him anyway, where we have to trust him. You know, he, you see him work in the, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament saints there, that they, he just stretched them and he stretched them and he required more and more and more of them. Too much is given, much is required. And as we're, you know, dependent upon him and obeying what he says to do, he stretches us. We can't be afraid to be stretched. Our flesh hates to be stretched. We want everything done for us. We want everything to be easy. We want to get to this level where we can kind of put our spiritual life on cruise control. God knows nothing of cruise control (laughs) in the Christian life. Look at anyone that's been used by the Lord and again, we don't get to choose how far we go in the, in, in the Lord in our maturity. He, he determines that as we take up our cross daily and follow him. And so he gets to decide that. But anyone that's ever been greatly used by the Lord didn't decide someday that, you know, they're going to give God permission to bring them to that place. They just surrendered each day and God led them to that place. So we've been looking at all these great examples. The writer is trying to tell these Jewish believers who are contemplating leaving Christ and going back to Judaism that... Uh, there's plenty of examples for them to look at in their history. That he wasn't re- asking them to do anything that he hadn't asked other people to do in, his, in the history of man. And he wasn't asking them to do something great or something abnormally hard or, or anything like that. He says, these are your physical, tangible examples of what it looks like to live this life of faith. They had this Old Testament heritage, and that's great. And God built upon that. But it continued into this whole new covenant, this better covenant about which he's been speaking. So we begin in verse 21. He says, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Now God had to go a long time, a long ways in Jacob's chronology to find something that uh, he could say related to his faith. I mean, Jacob was a conniver and a deceiver. I mean, I can relate to him in many ways because growing up, I was the, man, I was conniving. I was, I was trying to get by with using manipulation. And he, Jacob's a study in manipulation until he meets his uncle Laban. <laughs> then he gets a real lesson in manipulation and, and, and finagling and so forth. And so here Jacob is at the end of his life, and we're told there that when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Jacob had 12 sons. Joseph, unfortunately, was his favorite son. We're not called to have favorite uh, children or anything, but he, and there was a lot of problems that came as a result of that. But he came, and he was, he was dying and so forth, and uh, we're told that the two sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, were brought before Jacob. Joseph brought him. Now, Jacob is dying and so forth. His eyes weren't good. He couldn't see very well. And, he, and Joseph brings his sons before him. And uh, he brings these boys to him. And he, he holds them and he hugs them and he kisses them and he loves them like any grandfather would. And here, here and he tells us in the account in Genesis that he said, I didn't even think I'd ever see my son again talking about Joseph but now I'm seeing his offspring. I mean, it was just God's grace being poured out on his life. Obviously, Jacob and none of us deserve the grace that we receive from God. And God loves to pour it out on our lives. And so when he brings, now Manasseh is the firstborn. He brings them and, and, and Joseph already knows the drill. He, he aligns them correctly to where the right hand of Jacob would be on Manasseh's head and his left hand would be on Ephraim's head. And, and 
Jacob switches that around and he puts his right hand on Ephraim and Joseph corrects him. It says in the passage that he was displeased and he, he, he corrects his dad and his dad says, hey, I know what I'm doing. And, he, and he, he heard from the Lord that he was supposed to bless Ephraim, even though he wasn't the firstborn, that, that he was supposed to get that uh, type of blessing. And so that is a picture for us, and we can't go into all of these in depth, of course, but for, at least for Jacob and blessing Joseph's sons, it's a picture of doing the right thing and doing what God's called us to do or told us to do in the face of pressure. Now, you may not think that would be uh, highly, um, you know, or very difficult for Jacob, but it could have been very difficult for him to go against tradition, to go against what his son wanted. You know, no doubt Joseph probably talked to his sons about that, talked to Manasseh about being the one, the firstborn, and what all of that meant. He had to go against that to do what God had told him to do. And so that's what God's called us to be like related to faith. He tells us to do things. He gives us instructions related to what we should do. And sometimes it goes against what tradition says. In fact, it could be very good tradition that we, he calls us to go against. And, and, or what someone's expectations are. You know, how many of us have disobeyed what the Lord's called us to do because of expectations of other people, especially in our families? I remember going on a missions trip in 1993 and it was to Russia, it was to Siberia, and um, I was thinking maybe they're trying to ship me off to Siberia. There's it's a secret, covert, you know, plan by people that don't like me or something, and I'm going to end up in a gulag in a prison or something. But it really was a legitimate trip, and I went and everything. But the people that discouraged me about going, that, that basically the enemy used, were people in my family. What are you doing? That's dangerous, don't you? You know, and oftentimes when there's this great thing that God's called us to. He'll use people in our immediate family or people very close to us, and they will tell us and whisper things to us that go against what God's called us to do. And we have to obey the Lord and honor him with our faith and say, no, I've heard the Lord on this. I'm going to step forward and do what he's called, us, called me to do. And so that's a, that's a laudable thing that we see Jacob do. Verse 22, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. And I want to read you the account in Genesis chapter 50. He says, that Joseph is speaking here, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph's a very interesting study on faith. And the reason why he's interesting to watch and to learn from is because all the things that he had to experience. Sometimes we associate Joseph's difficulties and his trials and the things that he went through only as it related to being sold by his brothers into slavery and what he went through in Egypt, being in prison and so forth. But his trials as a child, I mean, his trials began early on as a child. I mean, Joseph, can you imagine being brought up with four moms in the family? <laughs> and then you, you, your earliest memories are you're fleeing from Uncle Laban, you know, and he's pursuing you. And then when he catches up to your family, your mom's hiding the, the family idols there. I mean, that's, that's, that's some dysfunction there. And then they're concerned about Esau, and Esau's approaching, and so... Um, Jacob sends his family ahead and the children ahead and so forth to meet him first. Well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> you know, well, what if what if Esau is, you know, has a has a thing against our whole family? He's going to, you know, Dad, you're not going to be there to protect us. You know, what are you doing sending us ahead and all of that? That was something that he had to to deal with. Then there's uh, his his sister Dinah getting raped there in Shechem. That was hurtful. That affected the family. And then there's revenge going on and people getting murdered and so forth. And they flee from there. And on their way to Bethel, he watches his mom, you know, at an early age, watches his mom die on the side of the road, giving birth to his brother, Benjamin. It's a hard life that Joseph went through. 
This is something that he had gone through his whole life being going through difficulty. And then, of course, he's despised by his brothers. He gets a vision and his brothers sell him into slavery. And then he's all alone, separated from his family. And then he ends up there in in, uh, Potiphar's house and he resists the advances of Potiphar's wife. And then he's thrown into prison. And then he does the right thing and interprets a dream and he stays in prison two more years. I mean, talk about an opportunity to be bitter against God. And he wasn't bitter against God. This whole chapter is about going through difficulty, having faith, and honoring God with our faith despite horrible circumstances and still being at the end of it saying, bless God, even if he doesn't answer this prayer or see me through, he's worthy of my life and my, and my praise and my adoration. What a picture of faith. Through everything that J- Joseph went through, to my knowledge, we're not ever told that he, that he had an, an appearance of God, that God appeared to him in, in the way that he appeared to his, uh, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and his, and his dad there. And you would think that someone that went through all of that would, would, would need something like that. That's a picture of faith. We don't get God appearing to us. Sometimes he, he has done that in, the, in church history. He has appeared. I mean, Paul appeared to Paul a couple times. And, but that's the life of faith. Faith is living out what God has said for us to do in obedience to him in horrible circumstances, not being able to see, not being able to have this, the revelation of, of an angel before us or, or God appearing for us in the, in, the, in the person of Jesus and so forth. And so that's what the life of faith is about. Joseph's life represents the life of faith in horrible circumstances without, and so that allows us to not have excuses. We can't say, well, I had a bad upbringing. Well, so did Joseph. Well, God didn't work the way that I thought he would, he would work in my life. Same will happen with Joseph. God hasn't appeared to me like he did the patriarchs. Same with Joseph. We don't have any excuses. Whatever hand life has dealt us, God's called us to honor God with our faith and be obedient to what he's called us to do. Joseph's act of faith, out of all the ones that God could have listed, he, he talks about, or God talks about his expression of, of what it's the future for Israel and, and, and where their land would be and, and what God had given them. And he knew God would deliver his people. And it, it would end up being 400 years later after this where Joseph talked about the future and so forth of the children of Israel. And so he so trusted God's plan, he gave specific instructions concerning his very bones. And to our knowledge, he was never buried ever. He stayed in that coffin above ground for 400 years. How old is our country? (laughs) You know, a little over 200 years, 240 years or whatever, almost that. He's in that coffin for 40 years. He didn't want even his bones to go under that ground and be a part of Egypt. That wasn't his home. He knew that God's plan was that he would, his people would be in Israel and he didn't even want his bones there. And And that's faith to say that. That's faith to say you're not going to be here and I'm not going to be here. And I want you to promise me you're going to take my bones and put them uh, in Israel. And that's exactly what happened to him. So God revealed the future and he can reveal the future to us. He can speak to us concerning our lives. This isn't what you're going to be doing at this moment in five years, ten years, or whatever. You're going to be doing something else. And he can speak to us about our future, and he calls us to be obedient to that and to honor him with our faith and step out and believe that and make sometimes uh, arrangements for what he's going to do in the future. Sometimes he whispers those things to our hearts. He wants us to honor him with that faith. Now he continues in verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now we've come to Moses' parents here. His dad's name was Amron, which means people of the highest, and his mother's name was Jochebed, which means Jehovah's glory. And, and those parents loved their son. We're told in the verse that because he was, you know, beautiful and so forth, and because they, they, they were not afraid of the king's command, they hid him for three months. And then they did something very specific. We're told that in the passage in Genesis that 400 years after Joseph you know, was ruling or helping rule or whatever, having his responsibilities there, that there was a pharaoh that came on the scene that didn't know Joseph. 
And so this, he, he, he was threatened by the Jews and how they were multiplying and thought, hey, there could be an insurrection here. There's a rebellion. You know, we could be overtaken and so forth. And so they, they, he saw the people of Israel as a threat. So he gave a command to kill every, every male Jewish child. And so these parents of Moses, they loved their child, of course, but they didn't obey this command. They hid little Moses as long as they could for, for a few months there, and then they put him in this little box and, and they released him onto the river there, hoping that someone would see him and have mercy on him. And, and Pharaoh's daughter sees him, has one of her maidservants goes and gets him and has compassion. She sees him crying inside this little box and Moses' sister is coming by and offers to have, to have Moses nursed. And so it's, it's amazing because you have uh, Moses being nursed by his mom and his mom gets paid to do it. It's hard being the devil sometimes, you know. He's trying to wipe out the, the Messiah in the future by taking out this line and, I mean, this, the, the Jewish people and so forth. And he, he uses this, this Pharaoh to give this command. And then God turns it around and so that Moses' parents are getting paid by Pharaoh to, uh, to nurse their own son for a few years. And so they were not afraid of the king's command. Now, again, we have to remember the original recipients when we look at any passage. These Jewish believers were in, middle, in the middle of something very difficult. There was a king's command, so to speak. It was Caesar's command. And, and, and these, these, Roman, these Roman authorities to persecute, they would put out the decree, and then it was against the law to be a Christian. And so they were under this pressure. And so the writer by the Spirit's trying to tell them, look, this is nothing new. There's been leaders and authority that have given wicked commands before and people have done what was right even in the context of when it's extremely difficult and they honored God with their faith and look what God did. God honored their faith and he delivered Moses and he's going to deliver these Jewish believers and they needed to believe that. We face opposition at times from wicked people, don't we? We face opposition. There's wicked commands that, <laughs> that people are trying to obey that affect our lives. And God's called us to do the right thing. You know, as, as it gets worse and worse in our country and there's these laws that are being eroded that protect our freedoms and, and religious liberty is getting attacked, there's going to become some very real situations that's going to affect us. They're going to tell me that I can't say that homosexuality is a sin from the pulpit or that's a hate crime. And so they may make that against the law. And I have to teach the whole Bible. So I'm going to teach the whole Bible. So that may have some repercussions. I don't know. You Hopefully you visit me in prison uh, there. I don't know if podcasts can work out from prison or not. I don't know. But uh, I don't know what will happen at that point. Maybe we'll all go underground and, and be secret believers in terms of when we meet together like our brothers and sisters in China. But nevertheless, when there's a, a mankind type situation or, or a human law that contradicts God's law, we have to obey God rather than man. And that's going to happen, but it requires faith. God implores us to obey his word no matter what anyone says. And sometimes when there's incredible implications and it's going to cost us something, it requires us to take God at his word and to trust him with the, with the outcome and be okay with whatever happens. And that's what he's trying to tell these Jewish believers. Now he gets to Moses himself in verses 24 through 28, and we start in verse 24. He says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses did not want to be identified with Egypt and the, and the reigning uh, authority there. He wanted to be known as one of the Hebrews, and he refused to be called uh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And verse 24 tells us it required faith to do that. And, you know, in all these things, we forget that God sees our faith. Do you think that a lot of these people in this list were, you know, uh, uh, thinking at the time that God was seeing their faith in him? I'm sure some of them did, but I bet you many of them didn't even think that their faith in God and doing what they did was being, going to be noticed by God himself. But it was. That's what we see. So every little thing that we do in faith and honoring God and trusting him, he sees that. 
And he honors that. The smallest little acts of obedience in responding in faith to God, he sees it and, it, and he honors that. And it required faith for Moses to suffer this affliction. You know, we're told in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was before the Pharisees and the Sadducees, before he was stoned, we're told that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. We're not told that in Genesis. We're told that by the Spirit, by Stephen. So he was mighty in all of the education, and that was pretty significant at that time. And, and so he, gave, he, he didn't look at any of that as valuable related to uh, who he was and what he was called to do and, and, and so forth. And so he chose to, 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 to suffer affliction with the people of God. Notice he says, with the people of God. It wasn't just by himself. It was with others. Now, this, these Jewish believers, they were suffering with one another. They weren't just individual people. They were with a group of people. And they were with one another and they were suffering affliction. And he said he would rather do that, Moses, uh, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And that's what the writer's really getting at. In fact, he's warned them, as we've seen as we've gone through the whole book, just how sinful it was for them to turn their backs on the new covenant, turn their backs on Jesus. And he's basically correlating the passing pleasures of sin in Egypt with their rebellion and their rejection or at least contemplation of the rejection of the new covenant and of Jesus with the passing pleasures of sin of Egypt. And so that's nothing new. Today, as we stay faithful to what God's called us to do and obey him as a believer, we're going to suffer affliction. Jesus told us that. He said, in this life, you will face uh, tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He warned us ahead of time. So if they listen to your teaching or my teaching, they're going to listen to yours. If they reject, uh, they rejected my teaching or rejected me, they're going to reject you as well. No servant is greater than his master. So here Moses is, and he said, I don't care what this kingdom has to offer. I'm going to do what's right and identify with the people that I'm supposed to identify with and suffer as a result of it, and it's, it was worth it. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. And so now the writer's trying to get them on their reward. It's not, you know, even if we didn't get a reward, it's worth it. It's worth it to stay true to God and obey him and be all that he's called us to be. But he rewards us on top of that. And, and so we need to keep that in mind. And he's trying to get these Jewish believers to, yes, you're getting persecuted. But Jesus said, if when, you have, when you're being persecuted, the Spirit of God rejoice because he is upon you. He's resting upon you. It's verification that you're in the truth. It's verification that you are a son or daughter of Christ. When we get mistreated because of our faith, it validates our faith, the reality of it. Because if we weren't true or we weren't really legitimate believers, we wouldn't be suffering persecution because we wouldn't have that message. And so he says here, Moses, he is esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Think about the treasures of Egypt, how amazing those were. And everything was at his disposal there. But he looked to the reward. He's saying, just get your eyes on the Lord. Get your eyes on the, on the finish line and, you know, next the next chapter we're going to be talking about looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And there's a finish line, finishing the race. Moses was focused on finishing with that great reward in mind. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, Moses really forsook Egypt two times, even though it mentions one in the verse. He failed at the age of 40 as a deliverer, in a sense, because we're told, Stephen also tells us something that we weren't told in Genesis, and that is he was expecting them to recognize at the age of 40 that he was their deliverer. He had, he had those, those shadows of, of what God was going to do, and he thought that time was now. How many of us have done that? <laughs> God has told us something, we think, oh, now it's going to happen, and then it doesn't. It's for another time. That's exactly what was happening. And so he, we're told that, and then when they didn't see him as that deliverer, and they had that whole thing where he killed the Egyptian and so forth, and that was, he, uh, he was found out, 
he forsook Egypt in the sense that he left Egypt and went to uh, uh, Midian there and started working on his BSD degree, his backside of the desert degree, so that when he was 80, he could properly lead the children of Israel from Egypt uh, into, the, into the wilderness and eventually, you know, through uh, Joshua into the promised land. So he was working on, on, on all of that, but this verse is talking about the second time that he forsook, where he wasn't forsaking in fear, This time he was forsaking in faith. He was forsaking this whole plan that, you know, Pharaoh had in obedience to his calling and doing it in faith, knowing and trusting in God that God would back him up. And God did incredibly back him up. Notice he mentions endurance there in the verse. He says, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That, that was difficult for him. He had to endure. And he's going to talk about that in the next chapter, enduring, running the race with endurance. That goes along with faith. You can't have faith without having that lived out in a, in, in a life that's expressed by endurance. And God's called each one of us to endure. And how did he do it? We're told at the end of verse 27 that he, he saw him, that is God, who is invisible. It's like a play on words. It's like he's saying he noticed, he, he was impressed by what he saw by the person who was invisible. It's kind of weird to say it that way, but that's what's what he's saying. And that's what faith is about. Faith is obeying one that's invisible. We're obeying God. We can't see him, but we're called to obey him anyway. And, and so he looked and saw him visualized or pictured in his heart, the one that he couldn't see, wanted to honor him with his faith and obedience and stepped out and forsook Egypt. Now, what does Egypt represent in scripture? What's it a symbol of? The world. The world. That's what it symbolizes in scripture. So he forsook the world. That's what God's called every one of us as believers to forsake the world. If we love the world or anything in the world, John the Apostle tells us in his epistle that the love of the Father is not in us. Ooh, ouch. We can get so enthralled with the things of this world and the spirit of this world that we forget that we're supposed to have eternity in our hearts and loving that which is eternal and invisible because the things that are visible are temporal, Jesus said. So we're supposed to forsake the world. Is there anyone here? Don't raise your hand. Don't shout out. But in your own heart that you love the world and you know you love the world. I think all of us love the world at some level. It's in our sinful nature. But maybe some of us, God's calling us out to be more serious about the things of him. We've been maybe playing games with our walk with the Lord and God says, I want you to come out, be separate, and to be different in this world. Not weird different, like everyone looks at you like you're a freak show and no one can relate to you and you look nothing like Jesus and and everything with, with some sign that doesn't relate to scripture and doesn't represent the Lord's heart towards people, but to be different in the sense of being Christ-like and being all that God has called us to be and to be loving and so forth. That all happens through faith, through trusting God, because people will reject us. People will come against what we're about, but he's called us to be different. He's called us by his grace and by his power to be different in this world, to be Christ-like. That's what it means. When we're called to be different, we're having a calling to be Christ-like in this world. Because this world is definitely not Christ-like. Verse 28. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So God gave a command. This is the final plague. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pass over. The angel death's going to pass over. Your house is if you obey me with killing this lamb without spot, and wrinkle or, or blemish or whatever and, and, and the doorposts and the top and everything with the blood and I'll pass over and I won't kill that, you know, the firstborn son. And he did that. He obeyed that. That took faith. That was weird. I mean, that was, you know, I hadn't experienced that before. I'm sure he would say that. This is weird instructions. God loves to give weird instructions <laughs> so we could trust him and see what only he can do happen. But that was different for them to do. And, and so they honored him with that faith and God uh, protected them. Verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Notice the word they in verse 29. It wasn't just Moses anymore. This is the children of Israel. This is the collective group had faith. 
It's the first time that we're seeing this list that a group had faith. Up to this point, we're seeing individuals have faith. This is a whole group now honoring God by following the leader that God had provided for them. And God honored their faith when they passed through that Red Sea. He was looking at every single one of their hearts as they went through that. As they walked across that land, Jesus is and God are assessing their hearts and are they, you know, are they trusting me through this? And you're, you're, you're walking through and you're seeing these walls of water. I mean, this is way more, I mean, Charlton Heston couldn't even have imagined what it really was like. It was, I mean, I was there. No, I'm just kidding. It was, it was, you know, these massive walls. And I mean, you don't know that they're not going to collapse at any minute. Well, maybe this is only good for, you know, halfway through and then it's just going to collapse. You know, I mean, you're going through looking. You can just imagine them. They're walking with their children, you know, and they're just <laughs> looking side to side, you know, hope this holds, you know, and they're trusting the Lord. That's the picture. And God honored that. Talk about persecution running from the Egyptians. God couldn't put them in a more impossible situation than when they were running from the Egyptians at that point and they're up against the Red Sea and no way out. And I'm sure that those generals and Pharaoh and all of that, they're just laughing, just thinking it's just a matter of time. I'm going to have them back. They had hardened their hearts and so forth and God delivered them. Now, do you think that would be a greater miracle of deliverance than what these Jewish believers are going through? Absolutely. God said, look, what you're going through is related to persecution is nothing compared to what my people have gone through in the past. And look what I did in their lives. I'll come through in your life as well. I'll give you the grace and I'll give you the power to endure it. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down and they were encircled for seven days. Now this, calls, this comes into the category of trusting God when his commands don't make any sense, <laughs> you know, and the, 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 the people with the Jews with the Passover and all of that and Moses and everything that qualifies that that's kind of weird to be putting blood on doorposts and stuff. I mean, we're used to that, but think about hearing that for the first time. But then Joshua gets this command to march around the city of Jericho once per day, marching around with the ark and the priests and everybody. And then on the seventh day, march around seven times and have the priests blow the trumpets and the people shout and the walls came down. Yeah, that's a military strategy that would be the first thing that you'd look at in a, in a strategy book. I mean, come on. I don't know if the people in Jericho knew that they were doing that. I mean, like, I'm sure there were people on the lookout on the walls looking down, like, what are they doing? Like the first day, that's weird. <laughs> they just went around our city once. Then the second day, Oh, wow, two days in a row. I wonder what they're doing. Then the third day, well, is this like a habit? Are they trying to get in shape or what? You know, and then the seventh day, what, what? They went around the second time, another time, a third time, a fourth time. You know, they don't know what's going on. They probably just thought they were crazy. They're probably vulnerable there going around. And then the walls came down. And, and God says that happened because they trusted God and obeyed what he said. Noah built a ship, but we already saw Noah. It had never rained before. It made no sense. God always puts us in these impossible situations and gives us commands that make no sense in the natural, makes no sense to the world. Yeah, go plant a church in the Great Recession, the beginning of the summer slump uh, with no budget, and just go do that. Who's, who's going to do that? What church planning book is going to tell me to do that? No church planning book that's worth anything is going <laughs> you know, to, or, or they probably would say to, to not do that, and they wouldn't be worth the anything because they they're trying to figure things out in a human way of doing things but what did the holy spirit say the holy spirit said go do that so we did it by god's grace and we're just trying to continue to hear him and what he tells us to do in an ongoing way that's all we're trying to do now we're told in verse 31 that by faith the harlot rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace and Rahab had faith, and I want you to hear what she had to say in Joshua chapter 2. She said, now before they lay down, she came, or it says, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Well, how did she know that? She said, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, uh, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven 
above and on earth beneath. That was her confession. Now that is, how can you get any more faith-filled than that statement right there that, that she said? She's in the lineage of the Messiah, by the way. And, and she said these faith-filled words, these words of, of faith in God. And, and here, 40 years after all these events had happened, I mean, she had heard everything from the Red Sea all the way till the, to everything that's happened up recently in their history. It had got back to them. And she's expressing that the true condition, no matter what anyone sees on the outside related to us in Jericho, the true condition of our hearts are full of fear. We know that God has given you this land and, and that she's expressing this. That, that's an expression of faith. She's honoring God, the God that she, she didn't even really know yet. And, she, and, and so God honored that faith. And, and we see that. Now, the writer runs out of time. He says in verse 32, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. I mean, talk about just those people alone. How much could you write about their life of faith and how they honored the Lord with their faith? You could go on and on and on. By the way, I'm glad that other people run out of time, not just pastors, but Bible you know, writers run out of time too. Uh, verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wow, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. I think of Daniel stopping the mouths of the lion there. Then God did all of this. They know, we know that and they would say that too. But God used their faith. Daniel, when he entered that lion's den, he had faith in God. He knew that God was very capable of taking care of him with that hungry lion or those lions there. Verse 34, quench the violence of fire, burn, getting burned, escaping the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. That's interesting. Out of weakness were made strong by faith. Faith in God brings strength to us when we're weak. Faith in God says, I trust you to give me the strength that I need right now. And God just pours out his grace upon our lives. And his strength is made perfect in weakness. It's a beautiful thing that he loves to do. We're told, became valiant in battle. Yeah, when they hit battles, they were afraid. They had faith in God. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Now, this isn't, you know, you know who I'm talking about with aliens. We're not talking about, I mean, I'm sure people have grabbed this verse and turned it into the X-Files or whatever, but, uh, you know, we're talking about strangers in the land and so forth. Women, verse 35, receive their dead raised to life again. You just think of Elisha and just all these different people that did things because they trusted in God and God did the miraculous uh, through their lives. And it's just a beautiful thing to see how God works. And others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Wow, this is the first that we've seen, where someone is given the opportunity to escape, but they deny it because they won't compromise. And, and, and they're, they're going to get a better resurrection, and they're, they're going to be rewarded for all that they did. And, you know, you think of Abraham's bosom. When Jesus went down into Abraham's bosom, after he died, and he presented himself to the Old Testament saints as the Messiah, and the thief's there with him, you know, just hanging out. Uh, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise, I'm on the cross. So he's with them there, proclaiming himself to be the Messiah there, and they, they got to see Jesus. Those Old Testament saints that died in faith, looking forward to the Messiah, they got to see Jesus and obtain that better resurrection. Now, verse 36 comes into a whole other category. And it's called the still others section of Hebrews 11, where they didn't receive any deliverance. They didn't receive anything in this life at all. They had trial of mockings and scourgings. Yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. History records Isaiah was sawn in two. The prophet Isaiah were tempted, were slain with the sword. Now, earlier we're told that they were escaped the edge of the sword in verse 34. But there were others that didn't escape the sword. But they both had faith. Now, was God showing favoritism? No. God has different plans for us, and we're in different situations, and different, we're different people. And he works a certain way in one situation, and in another, he works in a different way. But they still honored him with his faith, and they still would tell you today that God was faithful. And so that's interesting to see that. 
They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. That just, I mean, that's not by choice. <laughs> that's, you know, they were forced to wear what they wore. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. That's a great statement. The world was not worthy of them. Do you know the world isn't worthy of us? Not because of anything in ourselves, but because of what Christ has done and how he's qualified us to be partakers of the new covenant and we're children of God. We are, we are royalty. I know that seems weird to us to think about that we're royalty, but we are. We're a royal priesthood. That's, who, that's what God calls us. We would never think of those things of, on our own, but God reveals to us that we are royalty. We are sons and daughters of God by his grace through adoption. And that's good for us to see. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. I'm going to stop there. Notice that they didn't receive any physical deliverance at all. And could, have they, could they have been upset with God? I mean, could they have been tempted to be upset with God? I'm, yes. And that puts us, our trials in perspective, huh? Because we don't go through anything close to what they were going through in this list. And these Jewish believers to whom the writer is writing hadn't gone through anything close to this yet. And he's saying, what did they obtain? A good testimony. You'd say, well, their lives didn't end up really good. I mean, it's, their lives were, uh, you know, a, a travesty in terms of how they ended. But God's assessment of them was that they had a good testimony. Their lives were successful. Jeremiah prophesied for decades. Never one record, no, not one recorded convert. Was his ministry a failure? No. He's 100% successful. He was faithful in obeying what God had called him to do. And we look at numbers and we look at outward things so much. And it is a measure in some sense of fruit and, and God working and so forth. But ultimately, it's what God's called each of us to do and be obedient to that. And even if others on the outside don't see that it was success, God says it's a good testimony and it was successful. And that's, that's, that's the reality that God brings to the situation. But he's, they said they did not receive the promise. What promise? The promise of the Messiah. They were looking forward to the Messiah. Moses prophesied that there would be a prophet like him that would come on the scene. All the way back from, in terms of uh, Genesis chapter 3, God promised that, to, that he would send a deliverer someday. All through the Old Testament, they knew that there was one that was coming. They didn't receive the promise like who? Like, who? like these Jewish believers had. They'd received the promise. They'd received the Messiah. They'd received the new covenant. They had received the fulfillment that all the Old Testament was pointing to. And so they even more had, didn't have an excuse to quit or to throw in the towel or to go back to Judaism. Now, verse 40 is a really interesting verse here. It says, now having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And the, the first thing that we see in the verse is the word better. Did you see that? Something better for us. And we've seen that theme all the way through the book, haven't we? That Jesus is better. And God does things in the new covenant in a way to where we look at it and say, that's better. It's just better in every way. And so they didn't receive the Messiah. They didn't receive the fulfillment of the promise, but we have. And so because of their testimony being faithful in not receiving the promise of the fulfillment, it's used by the Lord in our lives to show us that because we have received the promise and the fulfillment of everything, that should motivate us even more to be faithful in what he's called us to do and honoring him with our faith. That's how they're made perfect, is that they are used by the Lord in our lives to fulfill what God wants to do through our lives by faith. We see them as an object lesson. And next week, he's going to say, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, talking about these people in this chapter, he calls us to run a race of endurance. And so that's how they're used. And it's, it's a great way that God has provided examples for us to see. So as I close, God has called us to honor him with our faith. And what are, what are you going through today? What challenges are before you? What has he spoken to you about? What is he exhorting you to do better or more Christ-like? What, what, or what situation are you in that's difficult? Our heritage we have a great heritage, and it's a stewardship. We have a long history. We're in this whole, this is part of our family, Hebrews chapter 11. This is part of our heritage. We're sons of Abraham because we're sons by faith, and God credits our faith as righteousness. 
And so because of that, we're sons of Abraham. We're in this. We have a great heritage. And God knows that even after these people went off the scene, we have the whole testimony of the church for 2,000 years now. Hebrews chapter 11 is expanded. And we have even more examples of what faith looks like for us. So God's going to hold us accountable to what he's entrusted with us. And he wants us to be faithful. There's three things that all of these people in this chapter would tell us if we could interview them today. If we could beam ourselves up to heaven or they could appear before us, there's at least three things they would tell us today. They would say it's worth it. They would say to us that God is faithful and they would tell us to trust him. And they would say, you haven't gone through what we went through. And even if you did, God would still be faithful and you need to trust him, and it's, it's worth it. God loves to honor faith. He loves it when we express our faith in him. So whatever God's calling you to do, and us to do as a fellowship, we're in a whole other chapter now of our fellowship. After five years, or, you know, we're gone to other things, and there's new vision, and it requires us to step out in faith and trust him even when we don't understand. And so God's stretching us. The two, I mean, I asked Reuben to share what was on his heart. I asked Pastor Mike to share something in the gospel. They're, they're both in Mark and they're both about faith. That's, that's not planning. That's not us, you know, trying to orchestrate all of that. That's God, the Holy Spirit, saying to us, you need to trust me. And if you're hanging on by a thread right now, you need to trust the Lord. He wants to give you that strength. He wants to give you that power to hold on and be faithful in the midst of difficulty. And he'll do it. He's so faithful to do it. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we just love the lessons that we see here. We thank you that we can explore all these verses, Lord, and just, just even on a surface level see how so many people from times past honored you with their faith and did the smallest of things in faith, and you saw it. You noticed it. So thank you for those examples, Lord. Help us to be good stewards of these examples before us. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that is really struggling to trust you with whatever it is that they're in the middle of, help them today, God. We pray as a family that you would just encourage them and lift their head, help them to see how big you are and how powerful you are, and that obeying you is going to always be worth it, even if not in this life, in the life to come. So we pray that you'd use these verses as only your Holy Spirit can in our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's